Welcome back to the RCF podcast. I am here with Jonathan Soule from Quidneset Baptist Church in North Kingstown. Welcome back, John. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thanks, Matt. Our topic today is the basis of Christian unity. What is supposed to guide our unity? Are we letting God's word guide our unity or our feelings and emotions, the desire to be friendly, to be nice, to be accommodating? We all know that unity is important, and we believe that true believers in Christ should be united. But our plea today is that we go to the Scripture for the basis of that unity, not just being united for unity's sake. I hope for those in our context, on our campus, that they will understand why we do what we do at RCF. The question I want to pose as we begin is, should we always be unified with anyone who calls themselves a Christian? Well, I think the simple answer is no. And even with a question like that, where does discernment play a role in do we just, if you say, I'm a, hey, I'm a Christian, therefore I'm to be accepted by you because I make this claim? You know, I think there's a sense where you got to dig a little deeper into what even that statement means. You know, hey, I'm a Christian, um, therefore I should be accepted. I think it lacks discernment. I think of several scripture passages in the New New Testament, 1 Peter 3, 8, 1 Corinthians 1, 10, Philippians 2, 2. All of those talk about being of the same mind in the same judgment. Mm. And writing on the Corinthians passage, one commentator said this. He said, the text reads literally that you speak the same thing and that you be joined together in the same mind and same outlook. So biblical unity is not a mindless unity. Right. Biblical unity is not sitting around in a circle, holding hands, feeling happy, and singing, as I've heard expressed. (laughs) I think that's kind of the view of many people. Sure. And even the statement of, you know, hi, hey, I'm a Christian. Should we have unity with someone who makes that claim? Even that statement of I am a Christian is kind of like going to the ice cream shop and seeing that, hey, this is ice cream and here are all the different flavors, right? Mm. We got to kind of say, well, I mean, like, what flavor are you? Because so many people use the term. I think this is uh, from Harry Reader that we're using the same terminology, but we have a different dictionary. The basis of unity here is not necessarily kind of what we just say by like identifying as a Christian, but the basis is truth. Yeah. A few years ago, there was a student that I was talking to and he was wanting to do a unity event on campus or wanting to invite us to a unity event. And he started the conversation by saying, now I know you guys at RCF have doctrine, but we don't. And I looked at him and I said, actually, we all do. Doctrine is a set of beliefs that you hold to. If you say that you don't have doctrine, then your doctrine is just pretty loose. That's actually what it is. Mm. So what is your doctrine of God and salvation? If you don't think you have doctrine, then you may have a tendency to believe that anyone who claims the name of Jesus is saved, that we're all alike. And that would have to include Protestants and Catholics, Mm -hmm. which have very different beliefs, right? You could go on to include Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Christian science. There's so many, like you said, so many flavors. And we have to begin to ask, is it really ice cream? You know, right? can we really say that we are united with all of those because they claim Jesus? Second Corinthians 11, verses 3 and 4, Paul was concerned that many in the church were being led astray, actually following different Jesuses. Mm. I think we see the same issue in the churches today. Absolutely. And sadly, you have to ask the question, well, which Jesus is it? 
you would be surprised at the various answers that you would get. They wouldn't come out and outright say, well, not the Jesus of the Bible, but oftentimes it's the Jesus of my own construct. You know, you start asking some questions, it's the therapeutic Jesus, it's mm-hmm. the teddy bear Jesus, it's the financial Jesus, it's the life coach Jesus. And it's like, is that really the Jesus that we see revealed in scripture? Oftentimes it's not. Yeah. And so there's a lot of false teaching out there. Mm-hmm. There's false teachers out there. And we have to ask should we be united with them? There's many that call themselves a Christian. Hey, just turn on YouTube, turn on your TV, turn on a podcast, and you'll find plenty of professing Christians mm-hmm. teaching false doctrine. I remember another student who was, again, inviting us to a worship night, and I told him that I was concerned about a false teacher that had been involved with this event in the past. And the student, you know, one of the things he says, you know, well, just as long as they all love Jesus, that's what matters. So it's just kind of like, we just all want to get along. And I asked the student where those lines are for fellowship. And he said he didn't really know. I told him, read through the New Testament. I think almost every book of the New Testament has warnings against false teachers and false teaching. I actually challenged him to to read through the New Testament and look for those warnings. And I said, hey, we can meet again and discuss this. But I, I actually never heard from yeah. him again, which was sad. It's a lot easier to ignore those warnings, I think, than to be on guard and to contend for the faith. It, mm. it seems like if we call someone a false teacher, it's not nice. And we do have to be careful about that. But we also need to realize this is a reality in the world. So if we're just going to unite with anybody and everybody who professes to be a Christian, well, what's going to happen mm. there? That's a danger. So I think false teachers and false teachings is certainly one of the things we have to watch out for. Yeah. And it's interesting you sharing that account too, and you know, talking to that student where he's kind of like, well, I don't really know where to draw the line. Some can think that, well, unity is the greatest ideal that we can have. And so if you at all could be charged, even with the slightest thought of being exclusive, well, it seems almost contrary to what is postulated as these great ideals of Christianity. Everybody's welcome, you know, and you know, why do you have to draw such hard lines? But when you think about it, Jesus draws hard lines. The apostles draw hard lines. Yeah, you you think of many people will even say, well, we're more alike than we're different. And mm-hmm. so we just need to unite. I think of Galatians. Would Paul have considered the Judaizers who would have had more in common than different? They had a lot of the things the mm-hmm. same, but yet they said, you also need to be circumcised. And Paul didn't say, hey, let's get under a big tent and just have a worship night because we, we're all for Jesus. Mm-hmm. Oh, you want, you want to add to the gospel. And well, this group over here wants to kind of subtract a little bit from the gospel. And well, these people are trying to be squarely, they're the doctrine people. So they're the gospel people. And But we all somewhere, the common denominator is gospel. So we're good, right? And Paul, yeah, if anyone preaches to you a different gospel... Then the one you've heard from me, whether it be an angel from heaven, let him be accursed. Not um, very nice. Paul, yeah, Paul would have broken the three evangelical commandments <laughs> of the day. Thou shalt be nice, thou shalt not exclude, um, thou shalt not offend. Yeah, I think, you know, also in, in regards to, you know, false teachers and just that warning to us to be careful. I think of somebody like Francis Chan, who mm. he wrote a book on unity, which we don't recommend, by the way. But if you read what he says, or if you listen to him on a podcast uh, with an interview with him, listen to what caused that change in him. Hmm. 
And while he will appeal to scripture, it's ultimately his experience. Yes. And he says it was because he got to know some of the guys that he once criticized as false teachers. And that he realized that while they had different doctrine, they still loved Jesus and they cared deeply for the poor. Friends, that, that is dangerous because if we base our unity on experience with someone because they're a nice person, we'll get mixed up into all kinds of error and, and mixed up with false Christianity. Hell, hell is full of nice people. Yeah. You're absolutely right. That's not the basis. I know many nice people. Well, Second Corinthians 11, the passage that I mentioned earlier, Paul writes in verses 14 and 15 that even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So, and I quote, So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Mm. That should cause us to pause and want to make sure that we are uniting with true believers and not heretics. Right. Even if you would look at the tactics of Satan, the accuser, from the serpent in the garden, calling into question God's word, and then, you know, talking to Jesus and his temptation, using God's word. You know, we have this idea that the false teachers are going to be these like crazy, easy to spot, leading people, you know, they're going to lead people astray, but it's going to be just a couple steps off the path. But if you go a long distance, taking a few steps off the path, by the time you get to your destination, you're miles apart. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, that's that's where the discernment needs to come in and being mindful. And actually, I think it's the height of unity to, to be able to create distance when we need to mm-hmm. and, and to, to exclude where it's necessary because that unifies the core, the, the church. Right. And, and we need to recognize that because if nobody is excluded, what is unity at this yeah. point? Because there's everybody's in. Yeah. Jesus even warned in Matthew 7 of wolves in sheep's clothing. He says that they're going to look like sheep. And, and so we need to be on guard. Yeah, absolutely. You'll you'll know them by their fruits. It's where there must be a level of discernment there. You got to be careful too when when that happens. Uh, especially those that are in Christian leadership with a discerning eye. And you're going to have to do what more or less the dirty work at times. And you're going to have to stand and there's just going to be lambs, young sheep that that might not understand. And they think, oh man, but that's a that's another sheep. And it's like, no, it's it's not. And so you're going to have to be prepared for even pushback from the true body of Christ at times. Yeah. I think you hit on this a little bit earlier, but we didn't really delve into it. But can we really expect to have the same beliefs as everyone else? If we're saying doctrine matters, beliefs matter for our unity, uh, we might find ourselves alone. (laughs) No one else has the same beliefs uh, exactly like us, right? Um, Yes. Can we expect to find people that believe exact as us? Yeah, I think we can to a sense too, but I don't think we're necessarily saying that true Christian unity means that you must believe the exact same system of doctrine as me, or you're a heretic, or we're going to break fellowship. But we are talking about a central truth. I think a helpful way that we talk about this is kind of first tier, second tier, third tier matters. Capital C convictions, those are like, those are the hills to die on, right? Those are the big first tier items. And like a lowercase C convictions, that's kind of the area where that's where I'm going to find the local church that I want to be a part of, right? And so, and then your lowest tier kind of preferences, those are things that you might not even get in your own church, but Mm -hmm. like, and understanding that kind of those categories to where we can find essential Christian unity or, or the basis of Christian unity. Right. Those first tier things are the things that 
are necessary for salvation yep. or regarding the things that might keep a person out of the kingdom. I think that's that's, that's first tier yeah, issues. Yeah, that's, that's a helpful way to think about it too. Those are things that we break fellowship over. Then there are those second and third tier issues. For example, a, a person's view on when Jesus will return. Is the rapture before the tribulation or you know, sure. in the middle? Or That's one that I would say... We can be in the same church, yeah. be unified. Yeah, and... I would actually put that in my mind like a third tier, yeah. but I wouldn't call it a preference because it's not really, <laughs> oh, I prefer this uh, eschatology. Right. I'd believe this, but I'll, I'm willing to hold that loosely. And if you can give me a sound argument, otherwise you might convince me. Yeah. Like, but uh, even at some other issues in regards to salvation, is it based on God's sovereign choice or is it God's foreknowledge? Again, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you're talking Calvinism and Arminianism sure. right there. And can we be in the same church? Can we be unified with believers on different sides of the coin? Yeah, on I that? mean, you're looking at the same iceberg. You're just yeah. one one person's looking at what's on the surface, another person's diving down and looking what's underneath, right? And <laughs> but it's still the same. It's still God's salvation. So yeah, we can be unified on that. Um, seeing things a little differently. None of those issues are going to determine whether a person is saved or not. So we say gospel issues, that's going to be that that first tier. I I think of a few years ago, a a very well-known pastor was on a podcast, and he was using the verse from 1 Corinthians 15, Mm -hmm. verses 3 and 4, to suggest that the death, burial, and resurrection are the only things that we should be concerned about in Christian unity. And those, he said, are the the primary doctrines, and everything else is secondary. Mm. And he was speaking with a a popular author and and podcaster who is open and affirming regarding LGBT issues. And, you know, you have to look at, is that 1 Corinthians passage really saying that the only issues are, do you believe in the death, burial, and, and resurrection of Christ? And everything else is secondary. No, I mean, there there are gospel issues there. You would have to disregard those other passages of scripture that says this will keep you out of the kingdom if you continue down this path. Yeah, I think that's a really minimalistic view of what is the absolute essential. I think this pastor is right in saying this is of first importance. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, let, let's let's make that first. <laughs> if somebody doesn't believe that Jesus yeah. was dead, buried, and that he literally physically rose from the grave then yes, that, and, that's and, a problem. Yeah, and so a lot of people, what they'll do is they'll look and say, well, maybe maybe a more fuller version of the 1 Corinthians 15 is uh, what has become known as the Apostles' Creed, right? Mm-hmm. That's a kind of a Trinitarian statement that, that was penned by the early church. And it's like, hey, this is the essential of unity. Apostles' Creed, or 1 Corinthians 15, the, the essentials of Jesus' death, burial, resurrection— and we're not at all adding to the gospel. We're not adding, you know, we're not we're not gospel plus works people mm-hmm. at all. But I think if you try to make it that narrow, well, now you've just opened the door to, let's say, the, an open and affirming person. Let's say they call themselves a gay Christian, right? So in, in that sense, they, they would say, well, I affirm the Apostles' Creed, and I affirm and believe 1 Corinthians 15. I believe these essential facts. Well, what they are professing with their mouth, they are denying with their lives. And so there's a sense of, like affirming the gospel in its essence, but denying the power. And oh, another way we could say that is having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. 
that's when we would look and say, well, there are many scriptures that say, if you do this, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And I think we have to look at those and say, well, those are essential to unity. Yeah, that's a great point. And you're actually going into something else that is important for our unity. John Stott said this, he said, the visible unity of the church is a proper Christian quest, but only if unity is not sought at the expense of doctrine. This is what we've Mm -hmm. been talking about. He said, Jesus prayed for the oneness of his people. He also prayed that they might be kept from evil and in truth. We have no mandate from Christ to seek unity without purity, purity of both doctrine and conduct. Mm. And so, yes, it, it has to be both. And we see that played out in Scripture, 1 Corinthians 5. Think of the guy yeah. in the Corinthians church that's sleeping with his stepmother. Mm-hmm. And as far as we know, he professed to be a believer, probably said all the right things, but his conduct said otherwise. And Paul said, put him out of the church. Yeah, we can no longer affirm your profession of faith, right? So so what you say is not lined up with your life. Therefore, we have to break unity. We have to break fellowship with you because your practice is not your profession. And so uh, it, they have to be aligned. We're yeah. not talking about perfection or anything like that, but but a genuine sincerity. Mm-hmm. This guy was characteristically defined by his sexual immorality, and that resulted in being disfellowshipped, mm-hmm. uh, excommunicated, or the breaking of, of, of unity. Yeah, and similarly in Ephesians 5, uh, verses 1 through 7, right after telling us to be imitators of God and to walk in love, Paul writes this. He says, but sexual immorality and impurity or covetous must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That's what we were talking about. Mm -hmm. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. And if you think about that, he says, let no one deceive you with empty Mm -hmm. words. What are those empty words? Hey, we can all be together. Hey, we can get along, you you know, your gospel and people, your gospel minus people, we're gospel people, but you know, we're all under the the tent of Jesus. Those are the empty words that it's going to say, it doesn't matter actually what your practice is, as long as your profession is right. As long as you can go to 1 Corinthians 15 and say, oh yes, 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 yes. And say, "Uh uh-huh, to all of those things. Well, now you actually have a much more difficult problem because you have Paul contradicting Paul Mm -hmm. and he's not going to do that. Right. So exactly. Yeah. Think of Jude. Um, also warning against uh, those who pervert the grace of God into sensuality, into yeah. licentiousness. Yeah. It's all grace. It, it really doesn't matter, right? And the whole book of Jude is a call to contend for the faith, not to unite with those people. Yeah, that's right. Well, John, I, I think we're out of time. We have so much more we could talk about. Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah. There's, there's a lot on this subject. We're not even scratching the surface. So why don't we make a part two to this episode? And so we'll come back next week we'll finish this conversation. Yeah, sounds good. I'm looking forward to it, Matt. Thank you guys for listening. Be sure to tune in again next week. And if you have questions in the meantime, feel free to email us podcast at roadiefellowship.com or visit us on Instagram at roadiefellowship.